0: Well, I never answered his letter, I just couldn't tell him that way. No, I never answered his letter, cause I didn't know what to say. Now I'm going down to the station, he'll be there at ten after two. I'll show him the ring on my finger. I don't know what else I can do. Oh, the train from Kansas City is coming into town. Yeah, the train from Kansas City. Nothing I can do can make it turn around. Here comes the train. Here comes the train.
1: Unfortunately, we just got the news two days ago that this particular train, not from Kansas City, but from New York City, Has turned around. Uh, Rest in peace, the singer of that fine song. Shangri La is Mary Weiss. I'm really sorry to hear that she's dead, uh, dead. Age 75, just died two days ago. I wasn't obviously planning to start today's show with one of their songs, but I was a really big fan. Band didn't record that much, only together three or four years, only two albums. I think 16 singles, but wow, what a wallop from uh, four teenage girls from uh, southeastern Queens, aged like 15, 16, 17. They really could sing, and they really had great material this thing provided for them. You're listening to The Big Takeover Show. The name of the station is realpunkradio.com. The name of your host, that would be me, is Jack Rabbit. Show number 470 on this fine station in as many Mondays. Still haven't missed one. It's going to take hospitalization, I think, (laughs) or an early bout of senility or something to keep me from bringing you music every Monday, whether the news is sad or the news is happy. Music is just such a huge part of my existence and possibly yours as well. And uh, It's always sad when we lose some of the people who provided some of the best of it. Over the last half century, the Shangri-Las are definitely in that category for me. We're going to do our normal show again this week. If you happen to listen to the look-back shows we started this month doing, which means you're going to be hearing, well, this week, 32 songs that have never been aired on this show in the first 469 weeks of it. That is a proviso that I like to continue. I think it's fun. No other reason not being pretentious. Just There's just an endless world of music, uh, certainly present and definitely past, I can play for you. Which means I can't play you that song I just sang. That was The Train from Kansas City. I already played that one for you. But before we get to a whole raft of brand new recordings, which is this show's want, including brand new records from Pernice Brothers, Pete Astor, and Jay Robbins in this first set, Uh, It just seems imperative that I begin today's show with a different Shangri-La song that you'd probably much less likely had heard in your life, because it was a B-side, a typically quality B-side at that from the band from, I think it was their third to last single in 1966. The A-side was past, present, and future Once again, uh, all respect and tribute to now the late Mary Weiss, age 75, died January 19th. This is her short lived but amazing and unforgettable band, the Shangri La's, with this wonderful little tune called Love You More Than Yesterday.
2: No one dies, no one cries, no one feels the pain And the days just fall away And the days just fall away The lovers will always embrace And in their favourite bar The drinkers will drink forever Under the ancient tree The old couple are always together Just fall away And the days just fall away Fall away just fall away
1: a lot of people I'm very fond of spaghetti western music the themes from those movies of course it's enrico Enri- uh, morricone i'm sorry ennio morricone what am i talking about enrico morricone that sounds like his like brother or something ennio morricone was the king of that genre everyone knows the sergio leone movies that he did the themes for cuz they're just so memorable but uh, there's an exercise in showing you that he was not alone in that genre, even though he was the most famous. That was not Morricone. That was De Masi. Francisco De Masi, to be exact. And that was from a movie called Payment in Blood. Well, at least in America it was. In Italy, where the film originated, if you'll forgive some butchering of the Italian language here, it was Sette Winchester per un massacro the soundtrack to that movie. In 1967, the name of that tune was Seven Men, and in parentheses, main titles. A movie directed by Enzo G. Castellari, starring American actors Guy Madison and Ed Burns. Remember Ed Burns? I played that really silly song from 1959, a year or two ago, called Kooky, Kooky, Lend Me Your Comb. Uh, definitely one of those... Uh, Novelty hits of infamy from Ed Burns' role as Cookie in the TV show The Sunset Strip throughout the 1950s, but uh, mostly an actor, <laughs> not only then, but thereafter. Much like the Leone films, which would star people like Lee Wallach and Clint Eastwood, people like that, uh, very heavy on American actors, heading over to Europe to make those spaghetti Western movies. Good movies, too. Well, I hope you enjoyed that song. I hope you're enjoying the show. Obviously, the band that we heard before that was much more famous, about five billion times more famous and still in existence, even though that recording is from 1966. That has been credited to the Rolling Stones. I'm sure you recognized Mick Jagger's voice. But it's really not the Rolling Stones. It's Mick Jagger with a bunch of studio musicians. And let me explain The Rolling Stones did cut a version of that song in 66 called Out of Time, which you can find on their album Aftermath. But when Jagger and Richards wrote it, really Jagger wrote it, which is surprising to people, perhaps. He intended it for a singer by the name of uh, Chris Farlow, and he, uh, he had already written a song for Farlow that had done pretty well. So he wrote him another one, and it was Out of Time. And so he taught it to Farlow and uh, he recorded a demo of it to help teach it to him. Then they went into the studio with the uh, aforementioned studio musicians, including the the ubiquitous Jimmy Page on guitar right around the time he was joining the Hardbirds, Uh, having been a go-to session musician all throughout England for a long time on guitar, and Andy White on drums, who also has some obvious Beatles connections and Eric Ford on bass, et etc., et cetera, and a whole bunch of string players and things like that. And they, they cut a single, and it went to number one in the charts in 66. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad at all. So it kind of swamped the Rolling Stones version from Aftermath, which is the actual Rolling Stones playing it, as opposed to studio musicians, with Brian Jones adding a very interesting marimba part. Marimba, if you don't know what it is, sounds kind of like Tiny Bells like uh, like uh, Xylophone or something like that. But in any case, I didn't play you that version. I could have. I like it. But there's something about uh, the version that I just played for you, which did not come out until 1975, on a Rolling Stones rarities album called Metamorphosis. And if you listen to it and you know Farlow's version, you know immediately that what happened there is that uh, Alan Klein, the manager of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, and one of the biggest crooks and terrible people in the history of the the music business, uh, grafted the demo recording of Jagger's voice that he cut to teach the song to Farlow on top of Farlow's backing track. So it's basically Chris Farlow's single only with Mick Jagger's voice substituted for his. So I guess we could call that the Rolling Stones. They certainly wrote the song, and it's certainly their singer. But I find that much more an odd version, and it was obviously the bigger hit in England at that time. That doesn't affect us here. It wasn't a hit in America at all. So it doesn't really matter which version you pick. But I find that particularly interesting, and you may as well, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, and you remember me playing a cover, a live cover, in real time, in 66, by the Bee Gees, on Australian TV, live with a whole like 20-piece backing group, including a whole bunch of strings and stuff. And if you listen to that, it is clearly the Chris Farlow version that they're, that they're aping, not the Rolling Stones version. Interesting, eh? I think so, anyway. I talk too much on this show, but stuff like that that interests me, I try to pass along in the event that you find it interesting, as opposed to just a radio show that plays you music. Backstories and tidbits and things like that, hopefully, uh, are added value. At least that's my aim. Whereas I don't have much to say about Jay Robbins. He was the fourth of four brand-new recordings we heard in that set right in a row. You may know Mr. Robbins. He goes back to the 80s in a a whole string of very, very good Washington, D.C. punk, post-punk bands, we'll call them. Starting with Government Issue, which he joined in progress. Then he formed his own band, Jawbox, which is to this day his biggest successful uh, uh, lineup. Also Burning Airlines and many others. But these days he's making solo records. He had one in 2019 called Unbecoming. And I'm very much looking forward to his new one, which comes out February 2nd, called Basilisk. Basilisk? Probably Basilisk. Basilisk. We heard Last War, the uh, second single I've played for you off that record, on that record that will be out in a couple of weeks. Whereas Finnegan's Wake is a group that most people wouldn't be familiar with unless you're a fan of the incredible Royal Headache, who we missed terribly, broke up, what, five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, coming out of Australia. Well, the singer Shogun has this new group with a fellow named Finn Burzin, and they are called Finnegans Wake. I played you uh, a track from their Stay Young EP, a month or so ago, and that was one that Shogun sang. Whereas the vocalist we heard on that track called So Nice is Finn Berzin. So they share lead vocal duties, and they have very different voices. So there you go. Very little has come out from Shogun since Royal Headache broke up. There was that one single of Shogun and the Sheets in 2018 and the Finnegan's Wake single a year or two ago and now this upcoming Stay Young EP. So glad to see he's uh, making music still, but I'm hoping for a full album of material from this group in the years to come. Pete Astor, on the other hand, is uh, quite a, more of an easy thing if you're looking for output. In fact, his forthcoming solo album called Who Will You Believe due April the 5th is his eighth solo album in 26 years. And of course, he was in both The Weather Prophets and The Loft. No, I'm sorry. He's 11 solo albums. I was looking at the wrong thing. (laughs) If anything, I undercut myself there. And the album's coming out March 15th. Sorry about that. The album will be called Tall Stories and New Regions. And the track from that we heard was Model Village. Myself and my friend Jeff Kelson, we were fans of The Loft when they were around in the very early days of Creation Records and followed him into Weather Prophets. And I still like what he's doing to this day. He's a very talented singer-songwriter. And quite a few veterans there. All four of those folks I played for you with new records are people I've been following for ages. Joe Pernice, I go back to Scud Mountain boys with in the early to mid-'90s. Well, the big news this week in his... Uh, Camp is that the Pernice Brothers are about to come out with their eighth album in only 26 years. <laughs> Not the most prolific band. It's only their second album in 14 years, in fact, following Spread the Feeling five years ago. We heard the title track from the album. That's the one that's due April 5th. Only have to wait another mm, two and a half months to hear the Prince Brothers. Who will you believe? Chances are, as you heard that song, if you're a fan, you knew instantly. you like, oh, I know that voice. I know that style. I know that sound. is the quintessential Pernice Brothers kind of single there with Who Will You Believe. So that's good news indeed. And we started that set with the Shangri-Las. Love You More Than Yesterday, the B-side of past, present, and future. I'm guessing that unless you bought some Shangri-Las compendiums, there must be like a dozen of those by now that you would not be familiar with that song, but it was another very good one there from the girls from southeastern Queens. Rest in Peace, lead singer Mary Weiss, born in 1948, died January 19th. Wonderful song there of heartbreak and unrequited love, but also desperation and false hope, the sort of melodrama that the Shangri-La's made famous. The joke that I often have with a lot of my friends is if you listen long enough to a Shangri-La's song, someone will eventually die. Not so in that song, not so in The Train from Kansas City, but <laughs> more than one or two, let's put it that way, like uh, obviously Leader of the Pack and give us, give us Your Blessings or Give Us Our Blessings. As I said, they weren't around very long. Uh, there was only, let's see, two proper albums, both in 1965, and they only released 16 singles, even though six of them were hits. Uh, Three of them top ten at that, so they were highly successful in their era, the four years or so they were together. The first one was called Remember, and in parentheses, Walking in the Sand. You probably know that one. That was a top five smash, and this singer Mary Weiss was only 15 years old. Just remarkable how poised she sounds. She doesn't sound like a kind of young girl kind of thing that you hear from time to time. She sounds uh, wonderfully mature, even though the music is obviously kind of teen drama. And leader of the pack went to number one right after it. So topping the charts in late 1964, in a year that was totally dominated by the Beatles in the number one slot over and over and over. So in that sense, in a lot of ways, it's even more impressive that these three teenagers from Cambria Heights High School in southeastern Queens. If you want to know where that is, it's just on the Long Island border out by the UBS Arena, like maybe a couple of miles from where the Islanders play, if you know anything about the brand-new arena that they built for hockey out there. So a long way from Manhattan, but still. Uh, the stories that Mary Weiss told I really liked is that when they obviously went on tour with these top ten smashes and played with a lot of you know famous English and American acts filled with men who were very excited about you know, Mary Weiss despite her being 15, 16 during those tours and uh, she had no time for them she would just laugh in their faces she said and say hey I'm from Queens I know what I'm doing you, can, you may think that I'm like a young silly dumb girl and starstruck but I'm not <laughs> so get your paws off me you bum <laughs> great Unfortunately, after the Shangri-La, she did very little. She got out of the music business. She worked in commercial interiors for decades. I've said this before on this program. And she was coaxed out of retirement for a pretty good record in 2007 called Dangerous Game. But uh, it certainly wasn't produced by Shadow Morton. Didn't have the top-of-the-line you know, session players of her time playing on it and writing writing music for it. So it wasn't quite as good as that, but it was great to hear her sing again. I always admired Mary Weiss, uh, Mary Weiss and Macy, rest in peace. And obviously the uh, song that I started today's show was their song as well, so I don't have to tell you about that. But what I should tell you about is that this show is 100% listener supported. And without the people who are kind enough to send money my way for that purpose, I wouldn't be here every week. And the money they send also helps keep the print magazine big takeover in Print as well. So every week, I mentioned five of the folks who go to patreon.com slash Jackrabbit. It's my page. We can always use some more people to do it too. If you'd like to join them, you can pledge like $2 or $5 or $10, some meaningless and piffle sum. And then the site just charges your credit card to start every month that small amount. And it adds up to crowdfunding. It's really nice. I think it's wonderful, personally, that such a small amount of money can add up to something and keep this show afloat for so long with no, no cessation in sight the way I like it. So with that in mind, let's thank Ralph Malenga, Matthew Marcinowski, the wonderful Jeff Martin of the fantastic band Idaho, who have a new album supposedly in coming out soon, John Mayer, or Meyer and Jim Moore all of whom were the folks who go there along with so many others and I'd like to thank them as well as the folks who send checks and PayPal payments or Zelle or Venmo or Cash or anything all of them get mentioned in every issue of my magazine as well it should be and also rate the same mention on the playlists that accompany the archive version of these shows. So you can hear these shows anytime you like at com slash radio. And you can just fast forward past these mic breaks and tweet them as mixtapes because there is a um, playlist there. But those people's names are there too. I'm really, really happy to be here every week. No question about it. And for their sake and for yours, even if you are not a donor, by all means, by all means welcome. I'm very glad that you're listening today. I don't take it for granted I mean, it's such a wonderful and lovely thing to share music with people, but if no one's listening, it would be pointless. And I'm absolutely, absolutely grateful to still have a magazine after being in print for 43 and a half years now. And to that end, I think it only fair to tie in the two here today. I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing the last some weeks, which is play you um, five songs here, all from bands that are interviewed in the brand new issue A Big Takeover with Slow Dive on the cover. That would be issue 93 for two reasons. One, if you already have the issue, maybe this will help you out, kind of like a soundtrack for the interviews that you're reading in that magazine. And that's just great, I think. It makes it perhaps more interesting, especially if there's any of those interviews you haven't read yet. Maybe this will spur you to give one of those a try. Or if you haven't got the issue yet, maybe this will convince you that you you really should be reading about these folks, <laughs> you need a copy now Slowdive is in the cover and they're going to be the second one in this set, we're going to actually reach back to their first single speaking of a long time, that was 34 years ago, hard to believe same five people too but uh, as everyone knows I'm just such a huge Sloan fan that I can't resist the catnip of starting this set with one of their songs I've played you so many Sloan songs Over the last 470 weeks that I'm often resorting to live versions, not only for my sake, so I don't hear a Sloan song that I've heard a billion times, but perhaps just to spice things up a little and show you again what a fantastic live band they remain. I could easily play you something off their um, official live album back in 1999, which was a double album. Or something from their really early days in 1992, 93, 94, which is when they had their highest profile in America. But I don't have to because they're so good to this day, I can play you anything from the last decade. And I'm about to do that right here. In fact, this uh, song we're about to hear was recorded at the Carnegie Hall of Canada. Live at Massey Hall, Toronto, to be exact. September 11th, 2015. Of course, 9-11 means nothing in Canada the way it does to us here anyway. Maybe it means a little something. But this is the song that established them in America and Canada and remains a staple of their set to this day, and they still knock it absolutely out of the park. This set's, uh, this set's also going to include Emma Anderson, Plush Machine, and Los Popularos, whose, um, well, back then he was called Buck Cherry, but John Armstrong was a member. But uh, this set just has to start with Sloan. And here they are, live at Massey Hall, September 2015. The hallowed halls of Massey in downtown Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This incredible song, which goes back to 1991, is called Underwhelmed.
3: I guess for people who aren't in Toronto, I mean we didn't grow up in Toronto, we grew up in Halifax, but we had obviously still heard about Massey Hall and I think maybe to put it in perspective for anybody who doesn't know a lot about Toronto, Massey Hall is probably sort of the most revered venue or venue probably with the most history um, uh, in a way that, you know, Carnegie Hall or Radio City Music Hall in New York or something like the Royal Albert Hall in London. The, the, probably the, the uh, way people think about those venues in those cities, I think people think about Massey Hall. So it is like, yes, is it Toronto's Carnegie Hall? I don't mean to compare it with, you know, people always compare something Canadian with American, but I don't know if that's the right thing to say. I don't
1: often use the word hallowed, <laughs> but I will for
4: this. It's a hallowed hall. We
1: have time for one more have a heart cookie. Thank you very much this song. <laughs> i like to play another song called Underwhelmed. Thank Massey Hall. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you, people, somebody. for staying with us. Three tears of thanks. You guys stay there for a second. You need to get a photo. Keep clapping like we're getting into it.
5: delightful surprises in the rock and roll business, this summer has been the sudden emergence of a new and forceful independent record company called Two-Tone. Their first hit was the specials Gangsters, followed by The Prince from Madness, and there's a third I believe coming up from another Two-Tone band called The Selector. Well, the specials, I'm hoping, are over in Shepperton at the moment, and they're going to play first Stupid Marriage.
2: Quoting <laughs> session!
6: Sometimes. Take him away. In the office where I work, the green plant grows. In the office where I work, the green plant grows. It doesn't get too much water. Leaves are green, but most are dead It is there to cheer me up, I'm blue instead I don't know why it keeps on living,
5: kind of high The mud is great, and the soil's dry But it's hanging on you, no
6: In the office where I work, a green bag grows
4: And it doesn't seem much like the struggle shows I don't know why it keeps on living
2: is cracked and the soil's dry but it's hanging on you know i don't in
6: the office where i work
2: the green black grows. It doesn't see much light. The struggle shows. I don't
7: know why it keeps on living. Kind of fun. I wonder why it keeps on living.
1: You never know what I'm going to play for you, but a lot of it is inspired by things I read don't read a ton about music all week long, just because I have to for my job to a certain degree. But I happened to read um, a little article about the association online. And it reminded me that I, not only do I like the association, who are famous and had tons of hits, but I liked a lot of other bands who had music sort of like that that are just absolutely unknown, and it might behoove me to play you a track like that. That's the case with that English band there, the association, of course, being American, but it was going on, too, in uh, England, what we might call Sunshine Pop. That was Cherry Smash. Don't beat yourself up if you've never heard of Cherry Smash. Pretty much nobody else has either, unless they are a dedicated Sunshine Pop fan. That was the B-side of their third of their three singles. That's all they ever released. They never caught on. The song was called Green Plant, the B-side of Fade Away Maureen in 1969. The first single was on track records. It was the closest they came to success in their native England. Track, of course, being the label associated with the two managers of The Who at that time. Chris Stamp was one of them. And Kit Lampert was the other one, the late Kit Lampert and Chris Stamp. But uh, their main claim to fame, if they had any, is that the foursome from Gosport in Hampshire, kind of down by where Mega City was from, southwest uh, of London. And one of them was a guy named Brian Sebastian, and he was Mike Hugg's brother. Now, that name may, may not mean much to most people, unless they're British Invasion fans, but uh, his brother Mike Hugg was quite successful at the time as a member of Manfred Mann. And obviously with his brother in the group, Mr. Hug took a great shine to them and interest in them and wrote their first single, a song called Sings, Songs of Love. And they are featured, at least that song is in the Manfred Mann movie that year, Up the Junction in 1967. And was still he was still hanging around, um, Mr. Hug. He produced that song we just heard there, Green Plant. I don't know why the band didn't catch on further. They sound really good to me and they sound like hit material, but as I often say, the UK charts were just as mysterious sometimes as the American ones, if not more so as to why some things really had, you know, big success and others didn't. The, cl- the classic study uh, for us there is how big like the who and the small, uh, small faces and the creation and bands like that were there. And the who were big here and the creation and, uh, Um, the action and bands like that weren't even big in england it's like it's just no rhyme or reason considering how good those bands were but a good track there now i mentioned to start today's show that uh, mary weiss died and that was obviously the biggest thing on my mind but if you follow any british music you may well know the name annie nightingale she also died this week And uh, she was not a a recording artist, so she's one of those behind-the-scenes people testing how much you really know about stuff. But the way I knew her is she was the presenter on the show, the Old Grey Whistle Test. And then ever since YouTube came on, I became way more familiar with her because I could actually see her in action on the clips that got posted on YouTube. What a godsend that's been the last decade or two. I used to have her voice on various bootleg tapes I made. In fact, uh, I had a VHS. The only time I'd ever see her before, I bought a bootleg VHS at Camden Market in 1985, the first time I ever went to England of live performances, kind of like the one we heard before Cherry Smash there. And on one of the clips she was on, a lot of the clips were just the bands themselves. They would skip the introduction on this bootleg VHS I bought. But nowadays, a lot of them, you can see her. It's like some of the ones you can't. Like I, About three months ago, I watched a really wonderful video of a 1979 Iggy Pop performance on the old Grey Whistle Test, like three or four songs. And she's not on that. They just deleted whatever introduction she gave them, unfortunately. But you could hear her on that track. That was the specials with Stupid Marriage, live on that BBC program. October 2nd 1979 when the band was still pretty pretty new albums just about to come out or just come out the first one the specials which is what that song uh, eventually appeared on or had already appeared on and unfortunately in the specials as you probably know the drummer John Bradbury died in 2015 and the singer Terry Hall died a year ago so uh, that band is also leaving us piece by piece but I think it's important to recognize the contribution of Annie Nightingale. The one um, obituary that I read mostly focused on her being the first and largely only BBC DJ that was female. It was an old boy, old boys network, and they were uh, specifically and publicly saying they didn't want female DJs. Somehow she managed to crack through that ridiculous sexism, like it really matters what you know. Uh, what your gender is, if you can pick, you know, good music and present it in an interesting and thoughtful or funny way, just idiocy. But uh, to me, I, I didn't get to hear the BBC, not living in England. So to me, to, for her to be comparing this uh, wonderful live. Uh, tv show i mean not top of the pops was mostly people just miming you know like lip syncing whereas the old gray whistle test is so much more value because valuable because it's band's actually playing live and giving us a really good test not only visually but certainly orally of what they could do under extreme pressure for a national tv audience just fantastic and i missed the specials i did see them 2010, and I saw them when they first came around at the Diplomat Hotel in 1980 and a couple other clubs. So a nice little pairing there, and uh, rest in peace, Annie Nightingale. Before that, we heard five acts all interviewed in the big takeover, in the current issue, so hopefully that will definitely augment your reading pleasure, your reading enjoyment. I mentioned Los Popularos. That was the group that included... Buck Cherry, a.k.a. John Armstrong, who is interviewed in the new issue and talks about Los Popularos quite a lot, as well as his own band that he had uh, exactly the same time, both um, before, for a while during, and then a little bit after, which was the Modernettes, fantastic Vancouver band from the original uh, new wave slash punk, post-punk outbreak there in 1978 to 1982. And he is a fantastic writer. As I said, he's written some of the best books ever about that era and that genre in those days. So I highly recommend John Armstrong as an author if you can find his books. Los Popularos was, in fact, a supergroup formed on the side from people who were in bands before it became their main band. Art Bergman, who's going to be interviewed, I believe, in the next issue, big takeover from Young Canadians, slash KTELS. Bill Schert, or Bill Shirk, the active dog singer and Gord Nickel on keyboards, guitar and Tony Bardock on bass from the pointed sticks with Bill Zippy Penhead. Chobatar on drums from KGB and a whole bunch of Vancouver bands as well. I mentioned KGB a year, uh, two weeks ago as a band he drummed for in San Francisco that became No Alternative. So it's all kind of connected in the late 70s days of punk rock into the early 80s whereas plush machine doesn't have that pedigree they weren't formed until the 80s although quite interestingly uh in the last week or two the leader of plush machine walt hodge kindly sent me a tape of the band he was in before libertines u.s just called the libertines when they were around because they predated the english libertines that eclipsed them in popularity his band before that sounded exactly like Killing Joke. He was very influenced by the late Geordie, who died fairly recently from that band. And I had no idea, because the Libertines didn't sound anything like Killing Joke. And a couple of the songs they took with him, or he, at least one of them, Bad Memories Bernie, took with him to that later band. And it just was one of the greatest Libertines songs of all. Well, and of course, he's in Plush Machine now with Todd Witt, the last drummer from the Libertines from the reunited lineup of the uh, late aughts and early 10s, with two other guys, William Weber on guitar and Mike Hugan from bass, representing bands like Chrome Cranks, Murder Junkies, and Stiff Kittens. And Todd Witt, the drummer, was in Wolverton Brothers and some other bands. So this is a really, really veteran-heavy Cincinnati band. The album was called Hit Me, I'm running out of play, uh, running, running out of songs from that to play for you because, you know, as I said, we don't play the same song twice on this show except for special look-back shows. But there's another good one for you. I think that's the sixth or seventh really good song for that album I played for you. That one was called Clutter. Emma Anderson's new album, Pearlies, is one I really need to play quite a bit more for you. I think I've only played three off that record so far, including what we heard there, "Enter Interlight was the track from the album that came out October 20th. Plush Machine and Emma Anderson were both interviewed by James A. Broshide and Los Popularos was interviewed, or at least uh, John Armstrong was, by Alan Guinness. So when James Broshide suggested that we have an interview with Emma Anderson as well as Plush Machine, I jumped on it in a minute because I was a huge Lush fan. We had them on our cover in the mid '90s, and again during their very brief reunion five or six years ago, and Emma is still doing fantastic music, as is Mickey Brinier, her former songwriting foil, and separate, separately now instead of together. But that's a really great album, Pearlies, and that was the opening track there, "Interlight." Slowdive, before that, as promised, gave us their very first single from 1990, the title track of their self titled EP. So it was Slowdive doing Slowdive off the Slowdive EP, written by Slowdive, no, actually, written by Neil Halstead from Slowdive. <laughs> it would have been funny. You can only go so far. And it was on the Creation Records label. Who's the, on, the only thing that eclipsed that, I think, in Creation was when they signed the band they named their label after, The Creation, who I mentioned before, 60s band, had come back in the 90s. And they put out a single by them, and I'd probably encouraged this, but The Creation released a song called The Creation on Creation Records. <laughs> so that's probably the only thing that trumps the Slow Dive EP with the song Slow Dive by Slow Dive. But uh, I I did that interview with Neil Halstead, the cover story in the new issue. I hope everyone loved it, or will, if they can get a copy. We will be returning in issue 94 in a couple months' time with part two, which will be this time with Rachel Goswell, their voices intertwining so well, even on that first single, which set the pattern for what they would do in their career and to this day. As you probably could tell if you saw them on their tour late last year. And we started with Sloan. That was their famous song, Underwell, Underwhelmed. Live at Massey Hall, Toronto, September eleventh, two 2015. The only version of that I've played you before was from their official live album I mentioned. Four Nights at the Palais Royal in 1998. A double album released in 1999. Uh, a version recorded on their Navy Blues tour from Montreal Spectrum. Thrown on at the end of that. But that song is very famous in Canada. I'm not kidding you. I'm gonna, in fact I'm gonna have to quote from what I read about Wikipedia, which completely confirmed my impressions. They say, quote, In 1996, 2000, and 2005, the music magazine Chart conducted reader polls to determine the best Canadian songs of all time, in which Underwhelm was voted the second greatest Canadian song of all time. And in 2007, CFNYFM ranked the song number one, on their list of the top 102 Canadian new rock songs. Obviously, there must be CFNY FM 102 on the dial. So when I'm telling you that song is completely lionized and beloved in Canada, I am not exaggerating. And maybe from that live version of the song when it was already, let's see, 14, no, 24 years old. It originally came out on the 1991 debut Sloan EP called Peppermint and then was re-recorded in better fashion for their 1992 debut album, Smeared. They're still completely killing that song. I think we saw them do it the last couple of New York shows they did. Uh, In fact, hey, Jim, are you over there? Are you listening? Uh, Yeah. Can you tell me, did Sloan do uh, Underwhelmed at the shows that we saw at Bowery Ballroom and at Brooklyn Made? I
0: think so.
1: He thinks so, so uh, we're going to take that as a yes. So still doing that song to this day, and why not? Fantastic set of lyrics by uh, Chris Murphy. And Jim just told me during my time off while those last songs were playing that the song was inspired by a Minutemen song, at least lyrically, called um, a song for a political song for Michael Jackson to sing, if you know that track. And I was regaling Jim with tales of taking the Minutemen out to dinner. Uh, when they would come to America to play Dan or um, some of the other gigs they did, Folk City, at this restaurant called Homer's. But I talk too much on these shows as it is. I'm not going to tell you about that. I'm just going to go on to one another set and do everybody a favor, especially when i got this new Jay Maskus record to play you. The album's not out till February 2nd, so two more weeks to play, but he's already released three singles from it, including the one you're about to hear. Uh, this will be the second one I've played for you so far off the album, which is going to be entitled What Do We Do Now? We're also going to hear brand new singles right after that by the Jesus and Mary chain and the um, Stereo Lab Chantous, Letitia Sadier. I'm not sure. I'm not really good at French. But uh, let's just start it off, shall we? Big Takeover Show, realpunkradio.com. Jack Rabbit is my name. Jay Maskus is the name of this artist. This song is called Right Behind You. can jump blues there for you from 1954 that was the wonderful roy brown and his mighty mighty men a song from gal a song called gal from kokomo yeah that was what it was called the 1954 a song written by roy brown and it definitely begs the question if you're obviously sadly (laughs) alas familiar with the song kokomo by the beach boys from 1988 where did that uh name Kokomo come from, I'll give you a hint, there is no city off the Florida Keys or island off the Florida Keys called Kokomo. That's fictional. That was something that existed in the imagination of John Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas who wrote that song. Yet the word Kokomo, spelled the same, K-O-K-O-M-O, had been around for ages. In fact, back in the 1920s, it was a popular brand of coffee. And in the 30s, starting in 1930, there was a very well-established slide guitarist named Kokomo Arnold. And if you want to go back even further, there actually is geographical places that exist, not in someone's imagination, but actually in incorporated <laughs> map-born places in Indiana, Missouri, Arkansas, Colorado, Hawaii, and Texas, just not in Florida, okay? Okay. And uh, hopefully I've not uh, given you bad flashbacks there to the bad Beach Boys songs post-Brian Wilson. But uh, there was also a 70s band with some musicians from Joe Cocker's Grease Band with that name. So quite obviously the word Kokomo is long and well in existence before it was ever appropriated by Mr. Phillips. And as for Roy Brown, you may actually know one of his songs, if not his version it's the version, in fact, that I've actually played for you a couple of years ago. He did the original version of Good Rockin' Tonight, which is one of the earliest hits for Elvis Presley in his Sun son Records era. Just a fantastic song and one of the touchstones, perhaps, of the Jump Blues era. Boogie Woogie, Jump Blues, all that stuff they called it, R&B in the very late 40s, early 50s, before the words rock and roll were coined. In fact, you can find, if you look hard enough, a Jump Blues song from the late 40s called Rock and Roll. So the idea, obviously, it's a euphemism for sex, had been black slang for a long, long time. And again, it's just impossible to me, at least, to delineate where that genre ends. Jump blues, boogie woogie, R&B and where rock and roll begins. You can say it has something to do with guitars, but I will will definitely disagree with you on that point, judging from the number of great rock and roll records made in the 1950s where guitar was anything but prominent, quite a few of them made by Fats Domino, who had begun recording in that fashion in the late 40s. So who knows? Roy Brown also had a hit with the version of a song written by Fats Domino, and uh, his longtime songwriting partner Dave Bartholomew called Let the Four Winds Blow before Fats himself had a hit with it. So there is some Roy Brown tunes in history that have not been lost to history, but Gal from Kokomo is definitely not one of them, but it's a rather good one. Some country before that, since that was kind of a a cousin of sorts to jump blues and R&B at that time, maybe the white cousin coming out of the mountains and the South. Hank Lachlan, great, big, gigantic country star, gave us One Step Ahead of My Past, a single from 1960, also found on his album of that time called This Song Is Just For You. He recorded quite a few hit records for sure. Uh, He had, in fact, six country number ones, so he was a titanic star at that time, including uh, my favorite, which was a number one hit for him earlier that same year, 1960, called Please Help Me, I Am Falling the Alabama-born honky-tonk singer who died in 2009 at age 91. The song we heard there was written by Hal Blair, not Hal Blaine, Hal Blair, and Don Robertson, the pair that wrote a good dozen songs that Elvis Presley recorded, as well as songs by other country stars like Carl Smith, Jim Reeves, Hank Snow, and the country-era Jerry Lee Lewis as well. So a really great song there. Before that, we heard five songs much more vintage, and let me very quickly uh, remind you, if you've been listening to these shows in the last few weeks, we do indeed have another installment of Jim Santos' guest, uh, guest DJ slot here on the Big Takeover Show, where he's bringing us the great songs of 1980. Part four are coming up in the set we're about to hear. I'm excited about that. Uh, He is not exactly scraping the bottom of the barrel, our Jim Santo. He is coming up with some superb stuff. Easily done. I think 79 and 80 are the easiest years of the post-punk era to come up with just one fantastic song or another by both still lingering punk rock bands, the ones that had been punk rock bands that had transitioned into post-punk and the newer post-punk groups. And he's about to school us on how it's done. But uh, let me definitely tell you what we heard before Hank Lachlan and Roy Brown. We heard Harp, and we heard Fawns right before that. Two requests from Elizabeth Kleesewitz, once again, keeping me on, on my toes and probably you as well. Two bands I was not familiar with. Though. I've heard of Fonz. I'd never heard of Harp. And the reason I'd never heard of Harp is because it is the first album by the former Midlake frontman, Tim Smith. No relation to TV Smith, who is also actually Tim Smith. The Adverts frontman, we're speaking here of the Middle Lake singer. Both of them quite well established in England, obviously. His new band HARP is his first LP with his wife and collaborator Kathy uh, Zung is her name. The album is called Albion, and the song is called Throne of Amber. I hadn't actually heard that uh, Mr. Smith was doing this, so thank you for alerting me. The ever-vigilant Miss Klesiewicz. She also wanted to hear Fawn's Mixtape Days. Happy to acquiesce on that. Another fantastic song there from a band uh, that at least goes back to the late aughts, judging from their Bandcamp page. But if that page is also not um, hiding the existence of other records... Well, this is their first album since the first one in 2009. Talk about a belated sophomore follow up to the debut eponymous LP back then. Well, the Bristol band from South England has a new album called How Lost. And from that, we heard the opening track, a really good one at that uh, wonderful kind of dancy tune there called Mixtape Days. So Bristol is the name of the town they're from. As I said, they've released very little in that time, so it's not that I've got to spend a lot of time looking back to find what they did, but I'm intrigued by that track. Whereas the three bands we heard before then are all folks that uh, you can easily say are veterans, much like some of the ones we heard in the first set. Letitia Sadier gave us Panzer L'Inacceptable. I don't speak French. I apologize. Uh, I just accidentally insulted a whole bunch of French people who love their language, but uh, I have to back announce the tracks best I can. Rooting for Love is the name of her album, that's brand new, and it's coming out February the 23rd. So that's the first single, I believe, off of that. Jason and Mary Chain are putting out their second single from their album coming out March 8th called Glasgow Eyes. We heard Chemical Animal there in between Jay Maskis and Letitia Satie. Recorded at Mogwai's Castle of Doom studio in Glasgow. So thus, the name of the album. And happy 40th anniversary to the Jesus Mary chain. It's amazing how little they've released, actually, even though it seems like they've put out a gigantic catalog. This, this is really only their eighth LP, and first since 2017's Damage and Joy, and only their second album in 26 years. So in many respects, welcome back to the uh, Scottish Wonders, who kind of uh, shook up the British music scene for sure in the early to mid-'80s. And we started that set with Jay Maskis. Right behind you is the new single of the three so far, released off of What Do We Do Now, brand new solo album. Coming out on Sub Pop Records February the 2nd. So you're probably anxious as I am to get to Mr. Santo, so I think we should just do that, shall we not? If you weren't listening to three out of the last five shows, you aren't aware of what he's been doing, but he has already played us. 24 songs from the year 1980, and there is no end in the brilliance in sight. He's promising us a real hair-raising set this time. The last week, he said, was a kind of gloom and doom. In fact, he made a really funny joke about it. It's about straight razors, but very dark humor there. But uh, he's promising us a slightly different change in direction from that very same year. A nice mixture coming up here of British and American artists who graced us that year, in 44 years ago. And without uh, delaying any more, let's just get to it, shall we? My fabulous cohort here who posts these shows every week at BigTakeOver.com and runs that site for me and for us, for all of our enjoyment. And a long-standing radio voice himself and uh producer slash mixer and uh, musician himself. He's going to have an album later this year. Here is the venerable Jim Santel. Welcome to the program once again, Jim. Glad to have you here.
8: Thanks, Jack. And thanks for your kind words about last week's part three of my tribute to 1980. I was glad to know the Birth of Goth set gave you a nostalgic thrill. But I got to say, that is insufficient. Because, folks... Your old pal Jim, Mr. Smooth Santo, isn't satisfied with a little thrill. And that's why the theme of this set, part four of my tribute to 1980, is Make Jack Rabbit's Head Explode. Here's the plan. We start with five killer tracks from the UK, followed by five from America. And by the time I'm done, Jack will be picking up bits of his skull off his record collection. So let's get to it. From their eponymous 1980 debut, here comes the Psychedelic Furs.
6: To the party elite. All to the
8: fascist. Boom. Pardon me, Jack. Is this a piece of your brain? We started the set with Pulse, from the psychedelic fur's self-titled debut, produced by Steve Lillywhite and released in March 1980 on Columbia Records. Then we heard a track from another debut, Jeopardy by the Sound. Heyday was the only single from that album, which came out in November 1980 on the Corova label. UK music critics adored it, but incredibly, Jeopardy failed to chart over there. Next up, Swell Maps and the Helicopter Spies, from the band's second and final album, Jane from Occupied Europe. If you've never checked out the LP, you really should. It's wildly inventive stuff, on the cusp of post-punk and Psychedelia. After that, the immortal Mark E. Smith and The Fall, performing How I Wrote Elastic Man from Grotesque after The Gram, the band's third album, and first released on the Rough Trade label in November 1980. A little trivia, Grotesque was the first album for drummer Paul Hanley, the younger brother to Fall bassist Steve Hanley, who joined the fall earlier in the year at the tender young age of 15. Imagine that. We wrapped up the UK portion of the set with 3-Minute Hero by The Selector from the Ska Revival Band's February 1980 two-tone records debut, Too Much Pressure. Featuring the great Pauline Black on lead vocals, 3-Minute Hero is an appropriately titled segue into the American half of our set. Every one of the next five songs clocks in at three minutes or less. We began with an obscure little band from Forest Hills, Queens, the Ramones, performing Rock and Roll High School from 1980's Phil Spector-produced LP, End of the Century. That was followed by another New York City group, The Plasmatics, doing Butcher Baby, from the band's first studio album, New Hope for the Wretched, released October 1980 on Stiff Records. Okay, I must stop here to confess. Butcher Baby is a few seconds longer than three minutes, but who's counting when you're sawing a television in half with a chainsaw? Anyway, we certainly make up for it with the final three songs in the American set. Live Fast, Die Young by The Circle Jerks from their October 1980 Frontier Records debut, which delivered 14 songs in 15 minutes. That's efficiency. Jealous Again, the title song from the second EP by hardcore punk band Black Flag, and the third ever release on SST Records. And finally, we heard Minutemen and Fascist, off the San Pedro, California band's debut EP, Paranoid Time, the second ever release on SST. The first, if you must know, was Black Flag's 1979 debut EP, Nervous Breakdown. And speaking of Nervous Breakdown, I just might have one if Jack doesn't let me air part five of my tribute to 1980. I swear... I've still only barely scratched the surface of this historic year in music. Hmm, hopefully his now-exploded head will sway him. What do you say, Jack? Shall we have another go next week? Cheers, Jim. I'm absolutely certain there's going
1: to be a, um, a, a part five next week, and I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> there's obviously no shortage of great stuff from that wonderful year in 1980 with so much going on in so many different directions. Well, you have been listening to The Big Takeover Show on realpunkradio.com. i got one more song for you to play to leave us off today. My thanks again to Mr. Santo, both for what he's been doing here on the show of late and for uh, his obvious great work all these eight or nine years, posting these shows for you to listen to at your leisure anytime you like via com slash radio, where you can also download them if you want to listen on the car or, and you're not, uh, happen to be connected to the World Wide Web and Internet you can still listen to it that way. Thanks as well to Tommy who runs this station for us all. He does such a great job at realpunkradio.com. Thanks to you for listening because it's just pointless doing radio shows if you don't. So thank you so much for that. And thanks to the sponsors slash donors, the show that keep us in business very much so. All of you folks that I just mentioned are about to be had a nice little treat here at the end. It's the uh, immortal, even though she really is dead, the immortal Etta James. She's going to give us a single from 1961 that was a number 30 hit. So it did cross over to the pop charts, a much bigger hit in the black charts, where it was number four of an old song from 1937. A song written by Ned Weber, Milton Azure, and Gene Schwartz, first done back in 1937 by Mildred Bailey. And then it was not recovered again for 20 years, but since then there's been 74 covers. So it just it got kick-started, in a way, 20 years after it first came out, starting when the song was rediscovered by Eddie Fisher, Louis Jordan, Patti Page, Dina Washington, Wes Montgomery, Hank Thompson, Clyde McFadder, and Doris Troy, among others, and eventually... Much later, by the aforementioned Chris Farlow and Bill Wyman, separately, speaking of uh, Mr. Farlow and the Rolling Stones. And uh, in a posthumous release, Peggy Lee and in 1988 by Harry Nilsson. In the 2008 movie Cadillac Records, if you saw that, which I did, Beyoncé did this song too, pretending to be um, Eddie James. And just last year, it was done again by Paul Carrick. So what is the name of the song after I gave you that big build-up? Well, it's nothing to do with this song of the same title from the 1967 uh, movie The Jungle Book that was later covered in 1988 by Susie and the Banshees. It is a different version, a different song called Trust in Me. And with Etta James's fantastic top-of-the-edge le- top vocals here, which is always kills me with her on Trust in Me from the album At Last in 1961 and her hit single. I will indeed say so long. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Monday and we'll see you then. Ta-ta. Bye-bye.
3: Trust in me In all you do Have the faith I have in you Love will see us through If only you trust in me Why don't you, you trust me Come to me When things go wrong Cling to me daddy Oh yeah and I'll be strong We can get along, we can get along Oh, if only you trusted me You and I I can be sure That I love you Oh, oh, oh. stand beside me Stand beside me
7: All
3: the while Come on, Daddy, face the future Why don't you smile? trust in me and i be worthy of you oh yeah, yeah why don't you you're trusting me and oh